and welcome to the Jewelry Podcast. This is the podcast where we talk about fine jewelry in a simple way and break away from the norms that have tainted an industry previously weighed down by tradition. I started this podcast because I am so passionate about educating others about this wonderful world of gemstones and fine jewelry and because I want to help you build your own dream jewelry collection. I'm so happy that so many of you liked last week's episode with Charlotte and Pernille from the Jewelry Room. I really enjoyed our conversation and I would love to have more interesting guests in the studio. So if you have someone you want me to have on the show, please let me know. You can write to me on Instagram, Jewelry Podcast, where many of you actually have written about the episode last week. So that was very fun and thank you for that. And I also want to take the time to say welcome to all new listeners that have found us thanks to last week's episode. If you still haven't, I will remind you now that you can subscribe to the Jewelry Podcast so you get to know every day when a new episode is out, usually on Fridays. But it may differ. So you can subscribe on both Spotify or Acast or iTunes. And it also really much helps if you would like to give us a rating. Because ratings is sort of the way to spread a podcast and like give it authority so that new listeners find us. And for you who have rated us, thank you so much. It means so much. Now... Let's move on to today's topic. And today we will talk about different gemstone cuts. It is actually thanks to you listeners that I am recording an episode on this particular topic. Many of you have contacted me over the summer and requested an episode on gemstone cuts, which of course made me want to dive headfirst into this multifaceted subject. So, this one's for you. And besides many of you requesting this episode, I would also like to dedicate this episode to Helena, our newest team member at Mumbai Stockholm, the jeweler brand I started seven years ago. And Helena will work with our customer service and she's currently in training to take client consultations, both in our Stockholm showroom and virtually over FaceTime, Zoom, and WhatsApp. And Helena specifically requested to learn more about different cuts because she found it hard to find adequate information anywhere else, which is why I thought this would be the perfect time to record this cutting-edge episode so that, that you... I and Helena can gain a lot of new knowledge on the topic that we can then share with friends, family and anyone who will listen. And in the case of Helena, so that she can help guide all of the wonderful clients she will come across in meetings to create their perfect jewelry collection. And I also suspect that you who listen to the jewelry podcast have started to help your clients or friends with their fine jewelry purchases, haven't you? 
And when I recorded the Swedish version of this episode, the Jeweler podcast is a sister podcast to the Swedish podcast Smykkespodden. Swedish is my home language, so to speak. But when I re-recorded the Swedish version of this episode, I actually had to record the episode twice. Because I realized after the first attempt that not even I who recorded the episode could actually follow it because it got so complicated. So I had to rethink the structure and cut a lot of history parts. Perhaps that will be a bonus episode in the future with the history of diamond cuts or gemstone cuts. But because I wanted this to be a more useful episode, a more hands-on episode with information that you can use when you go out jewelry shopping. But bear with me, it's still a very multifaceted episode. So cut is crucial to the beauty of a gemstone. A gemstone that hasn't been cut looks like a regular unshapely and cloudy rock that you find on the beach. All of those who have seen an uncut stone next to a cut and polished one can hardly believe they were once the same. It is the cut that turns a stone into a gemstone and that makes us want to wear it in jewelry. Actually, it's the cut that even makes it possible to wear. So... In the first episode of Cutting Class, pun intended, we will talk about the sparkling brilliant cut, the majestic princess cut, the luxurious Asher cut and antique diamonds with older cuts. So let's get this show on the road. So which gemstones can be cut into the cuts we will be talking about today? Well, I need to start by saying almost all gemstone cuts have been developed based on diamonds. It's considered the most precious of all precious stones, the queen bee of gemstones, if you will. It's also the most durable and the most commonly used gemstone in fine jewelry all over the world which means it is also the type of stone that is most frequently cut. It's actually only in recent years, since the 80s, according to jewelry expert Johannes, that we have started giving other gemstones the same level of love and attention as the diamond. And today you actually cut aquamarines and diamonds in the same ateliers. And that would have been unthinkable before. So the stones that I will mention now can all be cut in the cuts we will be talking about today. And they are the most common gemstones you have probably heard of. Diamond, all sapphires, ruby, emerald, and also topaz, morganite, aquamarine, all tourmalines, spinels, citrines, heliodor, rock crystal, rose quartz, and smoky quartz. And many others. So if you want to get any of these stones in one of the fabulous cuts we talk about today, you can. So there are actually two things that happen when you cut a gemstone. The first is obviously that it gets a shape. Round, square, pear-shaped and so on. But all round stones don't look the same. 
nor do the square ones. So what sets stones apart from one another is what I call the sparkle factor. Because the second thing that happens when you cut the stone is that it starts to reflect light. And there can be a massive difference between stones that appear very similar but have different cuts. When you cut the stone, you cut multiple tiny little facets on the stone that reflect light. And that is what makes a stone sparkle. And this is why we have so many different cuts. Otherwise, it would be enough with one type of square cut, one type of round, one oval, one rectangular one, and so on. But as you will perhaps learn in this episode, there are typically a few different cuts for each shape. And which one you choose depends on which characteristics you want to bring out in a certain gemstone. Do you want the vintage-inspired round stone with a more subtle glow, or do you want max bling? And guess what? There is a cut for each. And this is also why jewelry nerds out there tend to have their own favorite cuts. And if you combine that with your favorite gemstone, well, that's when magic happens. So today I thought we'd go through some of the most popular cuts and their respective advantages and disadvantages. Which one to choose if you are going for that really glamorous vibe? Hint, hint. It starts with ash and ends with er. Which one is the most common cut? Which cut makes a gemstone sparkle the most? This is actually the same. Which one is the most revealing of inclusions that you should avoid if you have a stone which perhaps isn't of the highest quality? All those questions we will answer today. And I thought I'd start with the most common cut in the world. More than two-thirds, about 70% of all gemstone quality diamonds being sold have this cut, according to Barnaby's. And what is unique about it is that it maximizes light reflection. And it makes even the tiny stones sparkle like the eyes of children on Christmas morning. And perhaps making it the exception where size doesn't matter. You may already have guessed it, but the cut I am talking about is of course the brilliant cut. Everybody has heard the word, but few know exactly what it is. It is actually so common that some people call all diamonds brilliant, not just the round ones. And if you need a mental image of what a brilliant looks like, look at the diamond emoji in your phone. The brilliant shape is actually what most of us imagine when we hear the word diamond. So we are actually thinking of a specific cut when we hear the word diamond. Because let me tell you, a raw diamond... An uncut diamond straight from the mine looks nothing like the emoji, more like an unshapely rock. And in order for a diamond then to sparkle, it has to have flat surfaces that can reflect the light. And this is what happens when you cut it. If you have seen a round diamond up close, you may have noticed all the tiny flat surfaces of the outside of the stone. It isn't smooth, but rather full of little edges. And these surfaces are the facets. 
And they are the ones reflecting the light, causing the diamond to sparkle. And it is the facets that are the secret sauce to a brilliant. A brilliant cut diamond has 58 different facets, meaning flat surfaces covering the outside of the stone. And now that you are learning about different cuts, you will notice that the stones that sparkle the most are the ones with most facets. And that is because it is the facets that absorb and reflect light. And what is great about a brilliant cut diamond is that all these tiny facets hide impurities really well. So it's a very forgiving cut that works really well for rocks that have some inclusions, which are most stones, to be honest. And not only is it very forgiving towards inclusions and impurities, it's also a very good choice for stones that aren't quite white. So what I'm saying is that you can't really tell if a brilliant isn't pure white because it sparkles so much, especially if you put it in strong light. And the other thing that I am actually convinced has contributed to the brilliant cut becoming so popular is the round shape. It completely lacks corners. And because it is round, you maximize the visible size. For a given weight or carat, so one carat is 0.2 grams, so it's a weight. And carat is one of the most important factors that determine the price of a diamond. So it's not how big the stone looks, which means that you want it to look big for each given carat. And that's where a brilliant cut comes well in handy. So let me use an example. A round diamond that is six and a half millimeter in diameter weighs exactly one carat. But if you had kept the corners whilst cutting the diamond, so it would be square instead of round, the same diameter, 6.5 millimeter in diameter, would have weighed 1.5 carat. 50% more, just because you kept the corners. But the diameter would be the same. And even though the square stone wouldn't actually cost 50% more, it still would have been significantly more expensive, say around 30% more expensive. So if you want a 6.5 millimeter diameter stone, picking the round one is cheaper. And the square one would be around 30% more expensive. And then you can ask yourself, why isn't the square stone as expensive per carat as the round one? Why is it only 30% more expensive if it weighs 50% more? All other factors equal then, with clarity and color and so on. And it is because you are actually able to keep more of the raw diamond weight in the cutting process. So often you are left with about 80% of the weight of the original raw rock after you finish the cutting process of a squared stone compared to keeping only about 50% of the raw stone when cutting it into a round stone. And this is reflected in the prices with a lower carat price for squared stones. Or really, then all cuts where less raw diamond material goes to waste. And this is actually then the perfect segue to the next cut we will talk about today. The square cut that is the second most popular cut in the world. 
And it's not just any old cut, it's the famous princess cut. And many people probably think of the classic Tiffany Solitaire when you hear the word princess cut. And a lot of people actually think that the square shape makes a stone look both modern and classy. And actually, when the cut was created at the end of the 1970s, so it's a fairly new cut. It's only been around for 50 years. The goal was to create a cut that would look more majestic than the round brilliant. However, there is a common trait that is shared between these two different cuts, and it is the facets. So when creating the princess cut diamond, they kept the facets from the brilliant. So the princess cut was created to have optimal light refraction and sparkles almost as much as a brilliant. And not only does the brilliant cut and the princess cut share the same number of facets, these tiny small edges on the on the stone, but both were developed to sparkle as much as possible. So the princess cut is actually sometimes even called a square modified brilliant cut. And even if there are other square stones, the princess cut is the one that sparkles the most and is the best at reflecting light, which has probably made it so popular. It's the second most popular diamond shape in the world. And you sometimes say that a really well-cut round brilliant has the ability to reflect more than 90% of the light that hits it. And that is what gives it that sparkling, vibrant appearance. And you can compare this to a well-cut princess that will reflect around 70% of the light that hits it. And getting back to the dollars, a princess cut diamond is as I said, around 30% cheaper than around Brilliant with the same carat weight because it has, has its edges left. So then, let's now compare a one carat round Brilliant with a one carat squared Princess. So the Princess will have a diameter of 5 millimeter if it weighs one carat, 0.2 gram. But the Brilliant, as you know, as we said before, will have a diameter of six and a half millimeter if it weighs one carat. So this means that the brilliant will appear a lot bigger than the princess for the eye because the eye sees the diameter, even though they are the same carat weight. So how should you then choose between a round brilliant and a square princess cut? And I thought I'd give you some things to consider that might help you choose. And the first thing to consider is that the Brilliant Cut is slightly more popular and the Princess a bit more rare. So if you want to be more unique, choose the Princess. However, in my experience, as a seller of jewelry... It is actually my experience that it is difficult to sell square stones when the customer can directly compare it to a round stone. For any given carat size, the square princess appear a lot smaller to the eye because we see the diameter rather than the weight. So if you are shopping on a budget, you will get a smaller looking square stone compared to a round one for your money, even though the squared stone will have a lower carat price than the round one. Because the difference doesn't weigh up to the loss of millimeters in diameters. I really hope I made this clear now. I feel like I've said it so many times in the podcast. But it's so important. 
And the next thing is that both cuts are ideal for stones that aren't necessarily of the highest quality because they are good at obscure all like all the facets are very good at obscuring inclusions and impurities and actually even color. They sparkle so much you might not even notice that a stone isn't bright white but rather veer toward yellow or gray if you're not a diamond specialist. So if you have a budget to consider then you might not need to get the highest clarity, the highest color, all those high high quality gradings if the cut is really well made, which is actually also why many of like gemstone experts out there they look at the cut more than the other three Cs, the clarity, carrot and the color because the cut is really what most people think makes a stone beautiful. And with all this said, many people have a preference for one or the other. Either you like square stones or you like round ones and then you follow your heart. But what about when you don't want to max on the sparkle factor? Because that is the signature trait of the two most popular cuts, the brilliant and the princess. Do you always want as much sparkle and radiance as possible? What could be the reason to tone down the sparkle and pick a cut that doesn't reflect as much light? And there are actually multiple reasons. And what cuts can you pick then? And amongst the round cuts, there is actually one old cut that was developed long before the brilliant cut. The brilliant cut, as we know it today, was actually developed the same year women got the right to vote in Sweden, 1919. But the brilliant cut was developed in Belgium by a 20-year-old mathematician and engineer by the name of Marcel Tolkovsky, who was born 1899 into a family of diamond cutters. And in 1919, at the mere age of 20, he presented his dissertation titled Diamond Design, where he described the optimal brilliant cut. Optimal in the sense that it was the one that maximized light reflected of all diamond cuts. And because this trade is called brilliance in English, the cut was simply named brilliant. But Tolkovsky didn't only define the placement of each facet on the surface of the diamond, he also defined the optimal angles the stone should have for light to refract optimally. And that is why, still today, when you look at a diamond certificate, you can see how pointed the bottom end of a diamond is, because it affects how it absorbs light and how much it sparkles. And a cut is graded from poor to excellent, depending on its angles and proportions. So, since... Its development and today, 100 years later, the Brilliant is the most popular cut. But that was actually a sidetrack because there is another round diamond cut that doesn't sparkle as much and it came before the Brilliant. It is suitingly enough called Old European Cut. Old European Cut diamonds were cut by hand and the goal was for the stones to reflect as much light as possible in the light that was available back then, which was candlelight. And this was at the end of the 19th century and the beginning of the 20th century. 
And actually, you pretty much stopped using this cut, the old European cut, during the 1940s, because since then, all round cut diamonds have been the modern brilliant cut. And this also coincided with the diamond boom, when a diamond ring became the common engagement standard. And that was with a brilliant cut. So this then means that the majority of the old European cut diamonds you find today are actually old or antique, meaning they were cut pre-1940 and have likely been set in other pieces of jewelry before. And the simple reason why we don't cut diamonds like this anymore is simply because it isn't profitable. It's much better for the gemstone cutters to precision cut diamonds with a laser into perfect modern brilliance because they can be sold at much higher prices. Even some of the old antique cut diamonds have been recut into modern brilliant shapes because of this so they can sell it more expensively. But lately we have luckily started to realize the value of these vintage stones and let them be to a larger extent. So why should you pick an old European cut? Well, choose it if you want a diamond with a history. Choose it if you want a diamond with its own unique charm, a diamond no one else has. I usually call charm the fifth C you should take into account when choosing a diamond. And often old stones can be a bit worn and rough around the edges and they are uneven because they were cut by hand. And they tend to have a more yellow tint than modern diamonds, which you traditionally want to be absolutely white. But all of this, I think, is part of the charm of vintage stones. Which is why my next tip, if you are looking for a vintage diamond, is to try to look at the stones in as many lights as possible. To see how it shimmers and sparkles in different lights and from different angles. And it probably won't have the same instant sparkle as a modern brilliant, but it will have a different sparkle. And because there hasn't been developed an official grading scale for antique diamonds, all antique diamonds, if they were rated, they would be rated with the modern standards. So they would all rate poor in the cut criteria if you were to, say, hand it in to GIA for an appraisal. Which is a bit unfair and the reason why many people don't even bother having antique diamonds graded. So I'd say if you want an expert assessment in, on a vintage store, it is better to find a vintage jewelry expert that can really take the charm into account of the antique stone. And this is also Another reason why you should pick an old European cut if it speaks to you, because you don't need to have the highest rating in all the 4C categories, because that's not the point here. And my last tip, if you want to choose an old European cut or if you're thinking about it, is it that you can choose it if you think that size really does matter and you want to maximize the carrots you get for your dollars. Because one of the most amazing things about vintage diamonds is that they are a lot cheaper than modern cuts, which I think is sort of counterintuitive because there's a finite amount of them, but you can cut new modern cuts in like as many as possible. But I really think that the amazing thing here is that all the stones were cut by hand. And what about the squared stones then? 
What other cuts than princes are there if you want a square stone that perhaps doesn't have this high sparkle factor, but has charm and uniqueness similar to the old European cut versus the brilliant? And there is actually also an antique square cut, which is the oldest cut you can still get your hands on. And it was popular from the 1700s up until the modern brilliant cut was developed. 300 years. It is called Old Mine Cut. And it is pretty much how all diamonds were cut until you realize you could cut round through turning. So it is actually the predecessor to the old European cut. And the best way to describe its appearance is to imagine a soft cushion. It has soft beveled edges and softer corners than the princess, like a cushion. So it's not completely squared. And the appearance of the old mine cut is simply the result of following the natural shape of the diamond crystal as it was found in the cave. And you wanted to waste as little of the diamond as possible because when this diamond cut was developed, we hadn't yet found South Africa's massive diamond deposits because they were found at the end of the 19th century. And it was only then one could afford to lose some carrot to do the round cuts. So what you did was you added facets by hand to the diamond, and that is how you ended up with this charming-looking cut. And here I want to give some advice. If you are looking at hand-cut old mine-cut diamonds, antique cushion cuts, if you will, because, yes, there is a modern cushion cut too, But examine them carefully and pick the one you think has the most charm. Because they are all unique and don't look as perfectly symmetrical as we are used to today with modern cut stones. And these stones are typically even older than the old European cuts, as you already learned. So count on them being even more worn and fragile, if you will. And again, the difference between an old mine cut and a modern princess cut is that it doesn't reflect light in what we could define as an optimal way today, which makes it a lot cheaper than a princess cut. So you can really treat yourself to a real skating rink of a rock. And I love the old man cut because I think it's incredibly romantic. If you see it sparkle, you, yeah, you, ha- you have to see it in real life. But last but not least, for this episode anyway, there is another amazing cut I would like to talk about. It is not a very old cut, or it is, but not as old as the old mine cut, but it's an incredibly luxurious one. And this cut has a more original name, you can say, because it is named after the person who invented the cut. It's called the Asher Cut and was created in Amsterdam in 1902. So again, before the Sparkle Optimal Brilliant Cut was developed. And here they were using more modern tools in the cutting process, tools that were invented during the Industrial Revolution. And it resulted in this cut being a lot more symmetrical compared to the antique hand-cut diamonds, and is clearly inspired by the Art Deco era with its straight, geometrical, almost architectural shapes. And the fact is, when an Asher cut is set into a piece of jewelry, 
It is very similar to a princess cut. Both look even and symmetrical and squared, with the difference that the Asher has very elegant elongated rectangular facets. So you call this a step cut. It doesn't have brilliant facets, which the princess cut has. So you cannot compare these elongated rectangular facets to the tiny, super blingy, brilliant facets of the princess cut. But it's those long, larger surfaces that allows you to see through the Asher cut stone more easily. And this means that you need a higher quality stone for an Asher cut to look good because inclusions and impurities become really visible. So in that sense, the Asher cut is a more luxurious cut than the princess because you need a higher quality stone. And because the Asher cut doesn't have a brilliant cut table, which is what the flat top facet is called, it doesn't reflect light in the same way. And isn't nearly as forgiving as the princess cut. And the same goes for color. If the stone isn't pure white, an asher cut will reveal that. So not only do you need a stone with fewer impurities, you also need one with a better color. So you already know some hints by now, but how to choose then between an asher and a princess? So for someone who is new to the world of fine jewelry, it can be difficult to see the difference between a princess and an asher because they both look square when set in a jewelry. It's easier to see the difference when they are loose because the asher cut is actually octagonal. But if you look closely, you can tell that the asher has a more subtle vintage glow. Which perhaps isn't that strange, seeing as the Asher cut is about 70 years older than the Princess cut. And if you are looking for a larger stone, it can feel a lot more subtle and luxurious with a stone that isn't that blingy, I think. So if you have a stone with high clarity and good color, cut it into Asher if you're brave. And if you have a stone with more impurities and a color that isn't pure white, make it a princess. And then, if you have a stone that doesn't necessarily have to sparkle that much, so like a topaz or an emerald, and you want to focus to be on the ring rather than the sparkle, also you can pick the asher. But with all this said, it isn't that hard then to understand why the Asher cut is a bit more rare out there. And most square stones, or at least diamonds, are cut into princess cuts. Simply because there are many more imperfect diamonds than perfect ones out there. And one additional fun fact is that the Asher cut is one of the few cuts that are actually patented. And to round up, I thought I'd give you some final words. So the Brilliant and the Princess are by far the most popular cuts. Probably between 80 to 90% of all diamonds rings that are sold are either Brilliant or Princess cut. So if you want to be unique, you can still pick a white diamond, but pick any other cut than these two and you will still be in a minority. So you don't have to pick a very special gemstone to be unique. You can simply choose a normal diamond, but not cut into princess or brilliant. And 
Another fun fact is actually that the most sold engagement ring on this side of the millennium has been some variation of the following design. A solitaire with a larger princess cut diamond surrounded by a halo of brilliance. And you can probably see the ring I'm talking about in your head now. So don't pick that one if you want to be unique. But which one is the third most popular cut, maybe you think? quite a lot behind two others and it is actually the cushion cut we haven't had the time to talk about the modern cushion cut today but it's very similar to the old mine cut in its general shape then the main difference is that it has been adapted to more resemble the brilliant cut and modern cushion cut has similarly shaped facets to the brilliant as well But I, of course, love the real deal, the old mine cut, because I find it so original and charming. But then we also have some of my favorites. We have the more quirky cuts that I like to use in jewelry I design, which is the pier cut, the radiant, the marquise. We can imagine an, an eye. This is also called a navette cut and the baguette cut. And some of my absolute favorite jewelry have stones with these cuts. So, for example, I have a necklace pendant with a marquise diamond and two big pear-shaped pink and yellow sapphires. I have a radiant cut, pale green sapphire, almost mint green, in a ring that is accentuated by small brilliant cut diamonds. And I have another ring consisting solely of 16 marquise cut diamonds in an eternity band. And then I have a lot of jewelry with the pear-shaped or, as I also say, drop-cut diamond because I think it just gives like this unique twist to any jewelry design. And then, of course, I love the baguette, this long rectangular-shaped gemstone because I think it's like the epitome of decadence. And finally... It's not a proper episode of the Jeweler podcast if I don't end by giving you some tips. So here are my best tips when you go hunting for your next piece of fine jewelry. As usual, the best way to find out which cut is going to be your favorite cut is to see as many different gemstones in different cuts and colors as possible. Then you will also start to train your eye to see the difference between cuts and how they reflect and disperse light differently. You will also start being able to tell the difference between a good cut and a bad one. And that is, you will be able to discern a good brilliant cut from a bad one. And you will understand what we mean when we say that, for example, a stone is dead, so it doesn't sparkle like other stones. And most of the time, actually, if a stone doesn't have that sparkle factor, you can blame the cut. Of course, it could also be dirty. So always wash your jewelry before examining the sparkle. And small tip, if you don't have an ultraviolet cleaner at home, in Sweden, they are about 60 euros in a hardware or auto supply store. You can clean your jewelry with dish, dish washing liquid, hot water and a toothbrush. My next tip. As always, go with your gut feeling. Just like we have favorite colors and different preferences for the couches we pin on Pinterest. Sorry, we pin on Pinterest. <laughs> we have our favorite cuts. So Google the cuts that caught your interest and see which ones you are drawn to. 
that might tell you what you should put in your next jewelry piece. And the third tip, we tend to get sparkle and size mixed up. The more a stone sparkles, the bigger it is perceived. You can also create an illusion of a bigger stone by adding a brilliant halo around your smaller stone. And that is a trick commonly used in engagement and wedding rings, actually, because it is significantly cheaper to add a halo of stones around a smaller center stone than buying a center stone that has the same diameter as the small stone plus the halo. So that could be a trick or treat, maybe. (laughs) And next tip, there is a reason for everything, even the reason why you are drawn to a certain shape of gemstones. For example, if you are really into interior design, you might be drawn to the more architectural shapes like the Asher or the Emerald cut of gemstones. And I, who love flowers and soft shapes, are drawn to the rounder shapes like Marquise or Oval and play with colors and cuts. For example, I like femininity, soft shapes and pale pastel colors like pale pink, light green and champagne. And one of my favorite rings is a ring where I have this gorgeous mint green sapphire, as I told you before, cut in a very hard and edgy way with a lot of light reflection, the radiant cut. And I love it just because of that it's the perfect mix between hard and soft. So it has an edgy cut, but a more feminine color. And to you, finding that perfect combo between feminine and masculine or hard and soft might mean choosing a black, brilliant cut diamond for your solitaire ring. And now that you know the secrets of the different cuts, use it to your advantage. Do you want a luxurious ring that looks a bit more subtle from afar or more subtle to the untrained eye? Pick one of the heavier cuts, like Asher or Princess. Only the real jeweler nerds will know what a true gem, pun intended, you have. And you can also trick the eye with different settings. You will notice as you look at different jewelry that many different settings will use smaller round brilliance to trick the eye to think a stone looks, for example, square or marquise. Simply because it is cheaper that way. And now you know why. Round brilliant cut diamonds are the stones that look the biggest in relation to their carat weight. So many jewelry designers or goldsmiths out there actually trick the customer or trick the customer's eye by using round brilliance to create the shape of, for example, marquise instead of just using a marquise cut diamond from the beginning. And my second last tip, don't become blinded by the different cuts. Often there is a reason why a stone is cut in a certain way. Perhaps it is step cut to enhance its its color or brilliant cut to hide impurities. And of course you can enhance color through brilliant cut too. But do use what you have learned in this episode and see if you can see the inclusions in emerald cut stone, for example, or in an asher cut. But the asher cut and the emerald cut are quite similar. They are both step cut. So you can use this knowledge in the same way. And finally, summarized, the more brilliance and sparkle the cut is, the more forgiving it is. It hides imperfections and impurities in clarity and color. And that is why many gem experts deem it to be the most important of the four C's. 
But then how do you know if a cut is good or bad? It can be pretty difficult to know how much a diamond should sparkle if you haven't seen that many diamonds or don't have any others to compare it to. And if you don't know how much sparkle is the right amount of sparkle, it is hard to assess how good or bad the cut is. And this is when we say thank you GIA and look at a diamond certificate. There are many independent agencies that rate cut diamonds and give their assessment on them too. And based on that, you can determine a stone's value. I talked a lot about this in the diamond episode. And specifically, I talked a lot about GIA. The diamond episode was the episode 11 of the jewelry podcast. But for brilliant cuts... GIA have a very good scale where a diamond's cut is graded from best to worst, which is excellent, very good, good, fair and poor. So my best tip here is don't buy a modern brilliant cut diamond without the GIA certificate or a certificate from another agency, especially if it is already set in a piece of jewelry when you don't have a chance to see the entire stone. There is a reason why stones are graded before they are set into jewelry, because it is impossible to do a complete assessment when it is set in a jewelry. And this is, of course, true for other cuts as well. So if you're choosing one of the modern cuts that has been developed through laser precision and that can easily be graded by a grading institute like GIA, GIA, Choose a stone with a certificate. But for the antique ones, the old European cut, the old mine cut, you don't necessarily need a certificate. Or you, there's no reason to it because it will not tell you how good or bad the stone is. And finally, the shape a stone is cut in, round, square, brilliant, pier, should not be mixed up with how well the stone is cut. A high quality cut is the sparkle factor. It means that the stone reflects light better than a lower quality cut stone. You can think of it as a sparkle scale and also an asymmetrical scale. So for example, Asher cut, which is not made to enhance the sparkle the most, you would still compare one Asher cut to another Asher cut by looking at the symmetry, the sparkle, and so on. And that is how you grade the quality of the, of the cut. You don't compare an Asher cut to, for example, a Prince cut. And there is no right cut. It's just like t-shirts. You have to pick the style that fits you, what you like, and what the occasion is. V-neck or round neck, cropped or long, loose fit or tight, and so on. But this is how gemstones get their magical sparkling appearance, through the cut. Because let me tell you, when they are fresh from the mine, they are anything but fabulous and they definitely do not sparkle. And generally, the harder the rock, you can remember the most scale of hardness that we talked about in episode 4, the more intense the sparkle and the more durable it is. And that is why diamonds and sapphires can stay fabulous for generations, while some other stones like tourmalines, topazes and aquamarines may need to be repolished from time to time to not become dull. And different cuts not only have different shapes, they also have different light dispersion. 
Each cast has its own unique charm. And I love what different cuts do to the different gemstones, if it makes it look vintage glam or eyes of Christmas morning sparkly. And I hope you enjoy this episode on gemstone cuts. I hope I was clear enough and that it was easy, easy to follow along. Otherwise, please give me feedback on the jewelry podcast. But I really, really hope that this episode gave you some more inspiration and some more like knowledge to get out there and search for your gemstones. And I also want to add, if you have a suggestion for a topic we should talk about in an upcoming episode, slide into our DMs on Instagram Jewelry Podcast. I love when you guys come up with suggestions. And if you are thinking about a subject, I can almost guarantee that someone else has thought of it too, the exact same topic. So for yourself and all other listeners, do write in. Thank you so much for joining me today. And don't forget, you deserve fine jewelry and sparkly gemstones. Mm-hmm.